opportunity to once again open your word and to think about uh, how it helps to assure us of the preservation that you have promised us in salvation. So we pray that we would honor you in our study, that you give us clarity by your spirit, that we would thank you for your many blessings to us in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, so we want to pick up uh, where we left off last time, which was at Article 13 of the Fifth Head of Doctrine. Um, so, But some questions came up last time, and I just want to make sure that we adequately address them. Did anybody have any questions from our discussion last time that they wanted to touch on again? Okay. Um, so then we're going we're gonna to want to turn together to um, think about Article 13 of the Canons of Dort, the fifth head of doctrine. We're moving towards the end of the Canons. And these are the continuing, the blessings of the Canons as they continually return to this doctrine of assurance and Article 13 is kind of a follow-up to 12, that assurance is an incentive to godliness. But Article 13 makes specifically the point that it's no inducement to carelessness. Um, that assurance of being preserved in the salvation that Christ has won for us is not an inducement to carelessness for those who have gone into a serious sin. Um, And that's, I think, the question that's being specifically addressed by this question, saying, well, that might be, you know, that assurance is not a disincentive to godliness. We can maybe understand that for sort of general sins, our general kind of difficulties in this life. But what about if somebody has a very serious sin? What about a very serious fall? Like we talked about with David and Peter. Um, If they can be assured that their sins are forgiven them, might that not produce in them carelessness towards those kinds of sins in the future? Um, If someone can be assured of that, might it not um, cause, cause them to be more calloused about things in the future, more careless in the future. And what this article is really saying is no, that's not going to happen either. Just as assurance is no it is an incentive to godliness, it's no inducement to carelessness. Um, even for a, for a serious sin. And I want to consider in that in that vein the Psalm 51. So if you were turn in Psalm 51, particularly verses 12 through 19. And that's where I think we see proof of this of this article of uh, our confession. Psalm 51, obviously this is a psalm that David composes after his sin with Bathsheba. That's in the title of the psalm. So we know that we know the, the reflection that scripture means to make us have on this psalm. And in verses 12 through 19, this is what we read. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I will give it. 
You would not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. I think this is helpful on that on this specific question. Is, is, is assurance of preservation an inducement to carelessness if you've been involved in a serious sin? Because here we have David who had been involved in a serious sin and who was told definitively by the prophet Nathan that he was delivered from this sin. David was told definitively that God forgave this sin. Right, The prophet came to him um, and in 2 Samuel twelve thirteen, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also has put away your sin. You shall not die. So here we have someone who was told specifically that this sin was put away. Um, that his sin was taken away from before the Lord. It was not going to lead to his death. It's a clear statement of forgiveness. And in, in knowing that, that he is certainly forgiven, This is still David's attitude towards sinfulness in Psalm 51. This does not sound like someone who's likely to be careless about the salvation that has been provided for him. He knows he's forgiven. He knows he's assured that his sin has been taken away. Um, But is this the testimony of someone who thinks carelessly about sin? No, he says, actually, I'm going to teach transgressors your way. Um, I'm going to learn, I have learned from this, and I'm going to help teach others this way. I've come to understand what you want. Um, I've come to understand actually what you want from your people. And so far from inducing carelessness, um, even after a serious fall, the assurance uh, does not produce carelessness, but uh, continued confidence. And that's what Article 13 says. Neither does the renewed confidence of perseverance produce immorality or lack of concern for godliness in those put back on their feet after a fall, but it produces a much greater concern to observe carefully the ways of the Lord, which he prepared in advance. Um, So it actually makes people more careful, having fallen into sin, that they not repeat the sin. Um, Because if the Spirit has really been at work in the heart of a sinner to, to break them, um, that they have been brokenhearted over their sin. Um, that is something the Spirit uses to keep them from going into that kind of sin again. It's the kind of thing that we remind ourselves of in our prayer of confession um, from Second Corinthians 7.10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. There's a godly grief that God works in us over our sins that causes us to repent and not to be careless. We repent and we don't regret the grief that we had to go through to get to that point because we know that it has led to our restoration. Um, The two examples that the catechism or the canons give us of people who fell into serious sin were David. And so we've already seen this kind of um, this progress in his life against carelessness. We also see it in the life of Peter. That was the other example of someone who had fallen into serious sin. And so Peter denied the Lord three times. And so how did the Lord restore him? This is the audience participation portion. 
Okay, by asking him to feed his sheep. Um, ask him specifically what question? Do you love me? Um, and how many times did he ask him, do you love me? Um, and how many times did he respond in some form of feed my sheep? Three times, right? So, um, Simon, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? First was his first question. Um, because he, that was his, you know, even if everyone else leaves, I won't leave. Uh, do you love me more than these? Um, you know that I love you. So that, that's that threefold sort of restoration in Peter's life. If you love me, feed my sheep. So Peter had been subject to this kind of sin. Did that create carelessness in Peter um, over his further life? Or did that create a carefulness in Peter? Um, well, you can open your Bibles with me to 2 Peter 1, 12 through 15. This is Peter at the end of his life. So this is, so I read from Psalm 51 for David. Um, so this is 2 Peter 1. Um, specifically 12 through 15. And one of the things that Peter tells us in writing this letter is that the Lord has made it known to him that he's reaching the end of his life. Um, and Peter mentions that as one of his reasons for writing. So Paul, Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 12 to 15, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. What had Jesus told Peter to do after Peter said, you know that I love you. Strengthen your brothers, right? But we, we already said it, what he, what he kind of responded three times. Feed my sheep, right? Tend my lambs, feed my sheep. How is Peter... Notice how Peter is expressing this now, knowing that his life is coming to an end. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. I intend to do this always. Um, as long as I have life, he says, as long as I am in this body, I intend to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you will know. I will make this my goal always in life, and even after my death. I will do this as long as I live, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be at, able to at any time recall these things. What is Peter saying as he knows his life is going to go? I want to feed the sheep. I'm going to do that with as much as I've got left in this life. I'm going to tend the lambs, and when I'm gone, I'm going to leave... I'm going to try to leave it such, in such a way that even after my death, you'll be able to recall these things. So I'll still be able to feed the sheep even after I'm gone. 
Um, has his forgiveness and his assurance created a carelessness in him? Or has it actually fueled him to walk in the ways that the Lord has called him to walk? Now, he was not perfect. He had other problems in life. It didn't mean he was perfected. But he certainly was not careless and not careless in this regard. Um, neither in the life of David nor in the life of Peter do we see this creating a kind of carelessness in them. Um, because what is driving them? It's a spirit-wrought love for the Lord. Um, and that's what we have to, and that's where we kind of, you know, got into last time a little bit, kind of an unplanned discursus that was poorly led by me, um, into like duty versus devotion and things like that. But what we, what we tend to forget is if we say, well, this will be an inducement to carelessness, you forget the power of the Spirit that's at work. It's the power of the Spirit at work that caused the godly grief in the first place that led to repentance. Um, the Spirit opened David's eyes to see his sins so that he said, I, you know, I have sinned. The confession that he makes in Psalm 51 is his recognition. Peter recognized his sin um, before the Lord. Um, Peter wept over it. Peter confessed that Peter was restored by the Lord. And that restoration and that assurance of forgiveness, that assurance that they were with the Lord did not create carelessness in them. It actually produced lifelong change. We see this actually at the end of David's life too. Um, you might remember that story about David as an older man um, in 1 Kings 1, 1 through 4. Now David was old and advanced in years and although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore his servant said to him, let a young woman be sought for my Lord the king and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms that the Lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. The woman was very beautiful and she was of service to the king and attended him. Now this seems like a recipe for disaster with someone who struggled with adultery in the past. Um, but what is the last line that we're reminded of? She attended him, but the king knew her not. Um, even though she was in his bed as sort of a medicinal, you know, sort of the best kind of thing they could do in that day, um, he did not repeat his sin. Um, there was not carelessness in his life. Um, and, and, you know, you could say, well, he was an old man at this time, so, you know, he's already sickly. But then why does the Spirit tell us that? That he knew her not. Um, why is that detail important? Well, it's important because of his past sin to say that he did not engage in that sin again. Um, it didn't produce carelessness in them to know that they were forgiven. It produced faithfulness. It produced gratitude. It produced a spirit-wrought sorrow for sin that produced godly grief that led to repentance without regret. Uh, the canons of Dort go on to say, they observe these ways in order that by walking in them, they may, they may maintain the assurance of their perseverance, lest by their abuse of his fatherly goodness, the face of the gracious God, for the godly looking upon his face is sweeter than life, but its withdrawal is more bitter than death. Um, the godly love the smile of the Lord. They don't want to do things uh, that turn the Lord's face away from them. Uh, that's one of the worst things that can happen. Isaiah In Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. 
Um, you know, the, our sins can, the, the canons were clear about this, our sins can take away the sense of our fellowship with God. That's why David says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. People who've known that separation are desirous not to experience it again. Um, Psalm 63.3 says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Um, they don't want the experience of having God's face turned away, that sin that makes a division between us and God, um, that for a time can leave us feeling as if we don't have the right relationship with God and our sins are making a division. That can happen in the lives of Christians. It doesn't mean God has left us, but we're losing a sense of that fellowship. Um, you know, an extreme example of that in the Psalms is when the psalmist says, turn your face away from me that I might smile again. Um, it's almost as if your face, which, which when things are going well and I'm walking with you, it's a delight to have the face of the Lord shining on us. Right? That's the blessing that we pronounced from number six this morning, right? To have the face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Um, but there are times where if we're not walking with the Lord, it can be so oppressive to have the face of the Lord on us that we can say, would you turn away from me that I can smile again? Um, or we can just feel this crushing presence of the Lord pressing down on us. Um, David experienced that too in, in Psalm 32, expresses that what happens when we don't have our sins resolved, right? Psalm 32, 3 says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. Uh, they know that experience, of having that pressed, and they want to avoid it. They observe these ways in order that by walking in them, they maintain, may maintain the assurance of their perseverance, lest by their abuse of his fatherly goodness, the face of the gracious God for the godly looking upon his face is sweeter than life, but its withdrawal is more bitter than death, and they in consequence thereof should fall into more grievous torments of conscience. Um. Psalm 32 also says in verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Uh, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Um, they know that they've experienced that condition. They have no desire to be stuck in that condition. They want to be out of that condition and having been set free from it, they have no desire ever to go there again because they know what it is to be separated from the Lord in that sense and have their sins make that separation. Um, so far from being an inducement to carelessness, uh, this actually creates more of an incentive for godliness, even when it's a serious sin. Um, because we know the severity and the severity of what that produces, and it's that desire of not to be in that valley again. Um, and so I think we see that playing out in the lives of two people who did fall into serious sin. We see in their lives how that worked itself out so that they weren't left in that serious sin. Um, they were redeemed out of it by the working of the Holy Spirit. They had godly grief that produced repentance. They were forgiven of their sins and it affected their lives going forward so they were careful about those sins. You know, Peter had other problems in the church, but it was not denying the Lord. That was never a problem. Um, in fact, he was very bold for the Lord um, from then on. So um, that's what we want to think about in Article 13. It's no inducement to carelessness. 
Uh, there's no inducement to carelessness in the way uh, people who've fallen into into serious sin have have to deal with those things. So, um, any questions about that? Okay, let's get into Article 14. We read in Article 14, and just as it has pleased God to begin this work of grace in us by the proclamation of the gospel, so he preserves, continues, and completes his work by the hearing and reading of the gospel, by meditation on it, by its exhortations, threats, and promises, and also by the use of the sacraments. Um, so God's use of means in perseverance. Um, why do you think this is import, an important article? Yeah, take a guess. So we don't just think that we can do it alone? Yeah, so we don't think that we can do it alone. Can I erase the, this stuff off here? Um, usually when we talk about the means of grace in Reformed circles, we're talking about them narrowly as the word preached and the sacraments. That's what we mean by the means of grace. So um, we have different conversations with our Presbyterian brothers about where we draw those lines. So we, we have different definitions of that. So you have to know that if you're talking to a Presbyterian friend, that they're going to have a little different way that they draw that. But we tend to speak pretty narrowly. The use of, the, of means of grace is the preached word, And the sacraments. We can ask why would this article be important? You said because we need a word from outside of ourselves. Or did I just helpfully clean it up? Um, I heard what I wanted to hear. That's uh, uh, okay. Um, yeah, we need we need that word outside of us. And the article is important because it said that's how God began this work in us. How, how was the work of the gospel begun in us? Um, it was by the hearing of the word that produced faith. It was through the hearing of the word that we became believers, right? Faith, we, we often say, is created and confirmed by the preaching of the word, and it's confirmed by the Holy Sacraments. This is why the Word has the central place in our worship service, because the Word alone has the power to create faith. Sacraments cannot create faith. They can confirm faith. They can't create it. Um, and so the use of means, that's how we were, that's how faith was worked in our hearts. God created faith through the preaching of the Word. Um, through the confirmation of the gospel. That's how we came to know the truth of the scriptures. And every time we hear the word continually preached to us, it confirms that word. Um, right? we, we say in our, in our communion form, God has added this confirmation of his unchangeable promise. Um, that's why we don't do the sacraments without the word ever. 
Um, because the word is necessary for the sacraments. You don't understand the sacraments without the word. They're, they're confirmatory. They, they hold up the word, but they can't, they can't stand on their own apart from the word. So the word preaches Christ. The sacraments point to Christ. And what particularly do we preach? Paul said, we preach. <laughs> I think it was right. Um, <laughs> There's a lot. Uh, but Christ crucified, right? I've said this all to you before, but I'm saying it to you again. Something else was going to happen there. I don't know what was going to happen, but it wasn't going to be good. I know. It's part of the danger of being left-handed in doing this. The other is being suddenly super conscious of your spelling. Um, So we preach Christ crucified as the only hope for sinners. Where does baptism point us? Christ. Christ crucified. How does baptism point us to Christ crucified? Right, what's washing away our, our sins of our souls? The blood of, and spirit of Christ. Where does the Lord's Supper, that's why I start with baptism, because the Lord's Supper is too obvious. Where does the Lord's Supper point us? Christ crucified. Why does everything point us to Christ crucified? That's our salvation, right? Um, that's the only hope of sinners, we use every Sunday when, when we, when we get, hear the assurance of pardon, we hear that summary of the gospel that's given to us in the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, that we have forgiveness of sins and eternal life by grace because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Because of the one sacrifice accomplished by Christ on the cross, I have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. By grace, through faith. So what do I need to be pointed to all the time? I need to be pointed to Christ crucified. I need to hear it preached to me. I need to see it presented to me in the sacraments. I need to be reminded that I was baptized as a Christian. Um, that's why it's nice to have you know a profession of faith like we had this morning of someone who's been baptized in the church, who grew up in the church, and who is now saying, but part of that profession of faith always is, I understand the promises that were made to me in my baptism, and I'm accepting those promises, even if I was baptized as a little child and don't remember it. Um, I'm accepting those promises that Christ was crucified for me. Um, And that by grace, his crucifixion has meant for me what I needed has been offered on the cross. Because Christ in his dying in John's gospel said what? It is finished. What was finished? Everything. The scriptures were finished. That's what Jesus is saying there. I'll go back and read it. That's what Jesus is saying there. It's finished. Everything is finished. Everything is finished on the cross. Everything in the scriptures was looking forward to Christ on the cross. Now that he's come and died, everything looks back to that um, as the only hope for salvation. That's where I look for hope for forgiveness of sins. 
That's where I look for hope for eternal life. That everything's been done in Christ. That by grace, what he accomplished on the cross has been given to me. That's how I know I'm forgiven. That's how I know I have forgiveness of sins. That's where it all had to start for me to believe. But the weird thing we do is then look somewhere else when we're trying to get assurance. What I do, how my Christian walk is going, um, how these other things, how I compare to other people I'm looking around at, uh, all these kinds of things that we all look to, right, for and start to lose assurance because we aren't sure that we measure up to other people or we worry that maybe our fruit should be better if I'm really a Christian or you know, all these kinds of things that make us stutter. But what, does this, what is this article reminding us of? Why would you go to anything else than what you needed for creation of faith and for confirmation of faith? Why would you walk away from means if you want to be assured? That's why this article is so important. And just as it has pleased God to begin this work of grace in us by the proclamation of the gospel. Right? It begins with this. Somehow we get away from that this should continue this way. <laughs> that we should somehow begin to find it other places. But that's not, what, that's not what this says. So he preserves, continues, and completes his work by the hearing and reading of the gospel, by meditation on it, by its exhortations, its threats, and its promises, and also by the use of the sacraments. See what he begins, he preserves, continues, um, and completes. Right? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. How is he going to do that? By the preaching of Christ crucified. That's, that's why Paul can say it so strongly. I desire to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. That's, that was the message I brought. That's what will begin your salvation. That's what he's upset with the Galatians for. Right? Having begun one way, are you now going to go a different way? Having begun gospel begun with the gospel, are you now going to move off of that and, and be perfected some other way? Um, no, you, you begin something, you're preserved in it, you continue in it, it completes. That's how God will do this, by the means of grace. And so, one of the things we're learning here is, when we're not feeling assured, one of the worst things we can do is absent ourselves from the means of grace, which are speaking to us outside of ourselves. Because God is greater than the heart and there are times that we need his words spoken into our wrongness. Into our wrong ways of thinking about our lives and about ourselves. Um, so that when you are saying to yourself, I'm not sure I'm going to make it to the end. Um, you can hear the truth preached into your life. Jesus saying, I am sure you're going to make it to the end. I'm a savior. I save to the uttermost. I didn't come into the world to be half a savior. Um, to get you started and then watch it all fall apart. That is not why I came into the world. Jesus says, I came into the world that you would have life. And that abundantly. And what do I give? I give life. 
eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And if you don't want to trust my hands, you're in the Father's hands, and his hands are greater than all, and I and the Father are one. Um, I came with a purpose, a purpose that Christ accomplished on the cross. Salvation was accomplished there. Um, And so what we need to hear always is Christ crucified. If we're struggling with assurance, we need to hear the gospel preached to us. We need, to, we need to come and partake of the sacraments. That's what God is doing for us, is making it very simple for us in the sacraments. Right? Um, sometimes you're, you're aware of this as a preacher, that you've, you preach for a half hour on trying to say how it, God says, come and take and eat and all these things. And then God gives us simple things like bread and wine and says, you see this bread? See that the pastor broke it? Just as surely as you saw him break it, Christ was broken for you. You see this cup and how it has wine in it? As surely as someone poured wine into that cup, so surely Christ's blood was poured out. Now come forward and take that broken bread and eat it. Come forward and take that poured out wine and drink it. And know that just as surely as you ate and drank, so surely Christ's body and blood will nourish your soul to everlasting life. Um... It's almost so simple we, we can miss it of what's happening. It almost sounds so simple that it can't be that true, but God is saying that's as simple as I made it. That's how, that's how Christ saves you. Did you eat the bread this morning? Are you sure? Did you drink the wine? Are you sure? Sure, sure. My nephew will say that to me sometimes. So sure, 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 sure. Um, you're sure of that, aren't you? That's how sure you should be that Christ's body was broken for you, that his blood was poured out for you, that he means it for you, um, that, that faith is the hand and mouth of the soul by which you took that true food and drink unto life eternal. Um, that's also happening every time the word is preached, but sometimes we need to hear it and see it. And that's what God has given us, something we can see here and in baptism. Right, in baptism too, were you, were you hit with the water? Yes. You don't doubt that. Uh, can water wash away the dirt from your body? You know, none of us showered before church today and thought, boy, I hope this works. I don't know. <laughs> It's a hit or miss kind of thing. No, no, we get in there knowing what's going to happen, right? Um, that's the same thing. It's water washes away dirt from the body. The blood and spirit of Christ wash away the pollution of our souls. It's that sure. Um, and we can, we can lose the script all the time because we have the law written on our conscience. But by, by nature, we have the law. We, under, we understand, do this and live. And we can get completely thrown off along those lines. And that's why we need to continually come back to the means, just as it pleased God to begin the work of grace in us by the proclamation of the gospel, so he preserves, continues, and completes his work by the hearing and the reading of the gospel, by meditation on it, by its exhortations, its threats, and its promises, and also by the use of the sacraments. Um, that's how we are confirmed. Um, and so why would we look for other things? That's why that's why, you know, pastors have said, if I can't see, if I can get, can't get people to see this 
as the most important thing I do for you as a pastor, then I despair of being able to help you. Um, because this is where the Spirit is helping you. Um, not because of what I'm doing up there, um, but because of what the Spirit is doing up there. Um, we say, if, if I can't get you to trust that that will do more for your soul, um, then, then I'm not going to be able to help you because you're going to miss the principal thing you need for help. Um, because God has promised what I began through that, I'm going to continue. I'm going to preserve. I'm going to complete. Um, you know, when we, I'll, I'll end with this. When we finish the Lord's Supper, we're reminded we do this until he comes. You know, the Lord died for us on the cross, but the Lord who died is living. He's interceding. He's reigning now. And he's coming. And the Lord's Supper reminds us every time of all three of those facts, what he did, what he's doing, and what he will do. What he did was die for sinners. What he is doing is pleading that sacrifice before his father now and until glory, until he comes again. But one day he'll come again. And then I won't need to commune with him spiritually in the sacraments and in the preaching of the word, but he'll be with us. Um, we're doing this until he comes. That's the assurance um, that the Lord who is with us as we commune will come again and be with us forever. Um, and so that's how these things help us in the means. So when we're feeling struggling with assurance, we're struggling with the sense that we'll persevere to the end. What do I need to do? I need to go to church and I need to hear the gospel preached to me. I need to go and partake of the sacraments and, and have that confirmation of God's unchangeable promise to sinners. Um, so I have one minute for questions. This is always what I hate on news programs and they bring in an expert and they say, we've only got 20 seconds, but tell me, how do we fix the problem in Ukraine? <laughs> um, but does, that, does anyone have a question? All right, let's close in, in, in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the means of grace for your constant fixing our attention where it needs to be fixed on Christ crucified as the only hope for sinners. We thank you that our Lord died for sinners to give his life as a ransom for many. We thank you that he has proclaimed that death to us and proclaimed that he died not just for sinners but for us and that he has reminded us of that wonderful truth. We pray that we would continue to make use of the means of grace, especially when we're struggling with doubt and difficulty that we might hear again and again that word that began us in fellowship with you that will help us to continue and preserve us in that fellowship and one day will complete us uh, for glory. Lord, we're thankful for your work in us. Pray that it would be continued, that all uh, who are doubting and in trouble of soul would be enlightened and encouraged by the truth of Christ crucified for sinners. We thank you for your great love for us that caused you to send your beloved son in the world to die. And we thank you for the completion of our salvation in him. So keep us in that redemption and keep us in that, in that truth that we know is, is true, that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it in the day he comes again. So hear us, for we pray in his name. Amen. All right, thank you for your time. You're dismissed.